Hello everyone and welcome back to the JRM Sydney podcast. This month, we are continuing with our series, His Kingdom Comes. And today's message is entitled, Between Two Kingdoms, Citizens and Exiles. Let's continue to learn how to live in the way of an exile while here on earth and being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May you be blessed and empowered by this message. Don't forget to like or share this message or check out our Facebook page or our website at jrmsydney.com. God bless you. Um, yeah, so we have been talking about uh, our Revelations 11:15, and that was our key text from not just in our virtual camp, but for this whole month. And also because in conjunction to the 35th anniversary of our church globally, this is also our theme, His Kingdom Come. So we continue to encourage you to be tuning in in our uh, Mother Church's uh, Facebook uh, page or channel, and we will be broadcasting some of the, the month-long celebration of the 35th anniversary, on, especially on October 24. Uh, we will be uh, featuring the JRM International Churches, and that's including us. Amen. So, itong uh, Revelation 11:15, as we read it uh, and recall it, I really encourage you to memorize the scripture. It says, "The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever." I'd like to call this message "Between Two Kingdoms." That's the title of the message today: "Between Two Kingdoms, Citizens." and exiles. So I want us all to understand that we who are Christians or children of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, we are citizens of the kingdom of God and exiles in the kingdom of the world. So in that verse that we have just read in Revelations 11:15, I love that Pastor Sani emphasized that. That's a singular word, kingdom of the world. Now, there are many kingdoms in this world, but spiritually speaking, there's actually only one kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world and then the kingdom of the Lord. Which one we belong to, it's your decision. It's our decision. The invitation was given to all of us to be part of the kingdom of the Lord, the citizenship in heaven. Now, when we hear the word kingdom of God, you know, that is the one most important thing and most repeated topic that Jesus himself preached, you know, in, in his lifetime when he was here on earth. He would always talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God. He calls it the gospel in the kingdom of God. In the gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that it is uh, called to be the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's not even called the gospel of grace or the gospel of joy or the gospel of hope or the gospel of peace. It was later on in the letters of the apostles that this terminology was coined. Gospel of peace, gospel of grace, gospel of hope. But it was actually, in the gospels alone, it is mentioned to be the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, the gospel of the kingdom of God is the gospel of peace, a gospel of grace, a gospel of hope. But what Jesus actually was trying to say in the gospel accounts and the stories is that this gospel, gospel just means good news, the good news of the kingdom of God, that this gospel is so much bigger, so much grander, so much more majestic than just, you know, an aspect 
in all those uh, gospel of grace, gospel of peace, gospel of hope. So what is the gospel of the kingdom of God? What is the good news of the kingdom of God? Now, to some extent, we are actually already familiar with this. It's all over every literature or every stories that we, have grew, uh, we grew up with. And sometimes, the gospel of the kingdom of God is subtly, or subtle, subtle, no? It actually is, um, what do you call this, reflected in some of the popular literatures or movies that we have watched. And guess what? The memory trace of those literature and movies go all the way back to the original story of the kingdom of God in the Bible. What am I talking about? Pastor Jeff, I'm confused. Okay. Uh, the next slide here shows three of my favorite movies. Sorry, I'm being a nerd again. <laughs> but what do you think is the, may, the, the common denominator of these three movies? What's the similarity in the plot line of these movies? If you haven't watched them, I'm sorry. But uh, these movies, all of them, has a plot story that there was once a good kingdom. Yeah? And then, an enemy comes along and snatches or destroys or takes over that good kingdom and therefore proliferates evil in the land. Are you following? And so therefore, those who are main characters in the story become like, quote-unquote, exiles. Or they struggle with evil. They struggle to overcome or vanquish evil, the false king, the false ruler. And the ending of this story is, then, is that once the true and rightful king, the good king, comes back or returns, evil is vanquished, the uh, proliferation of wickedness in the land uh, comes to a halt or to an end, and then the rightful king reigns again. That is the gospel of the kingdom. You know, Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan represents Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the lion of Judah. He was mentioned to be the lion of Judah. Amen? And then, uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously, when the return of the king, uh, when they de defeated Sauron, the false ruler who tries to claim the land, its wickedness, its evil, you know, um, when the, the characters in that story uh, vanquishes evil, the ending, obviously, for those of you who haven't watched it, obviously, you would appreciate But the ending is like, happy ending. It's a good, good, wonderful story after all. And that's the same thing with the Lion King. You know, the, the, the evil false ruler, which is Scar, takes over the land and, you know, evil prospers. But when the rightful king returns, when the rightful king returns, it becomes good again. Do you know where that idea of a storyline comes from? It comes from the Bible. <laughs> the original plot line of these stories is based on the Bible. That is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God means that the king, the rightful king, the true, good, uh, righteous king has come to vanquish evil. And while we are still here on earth, we are still struggling with sin and wickedness and evil. But there will come a time when this Jesus, when this king of kings, this king will return. He will return. And he will make the wrong things right again. Amen? 
So that is the gospel of the kingdom. Um, now, we watched that film, uh, short clip earlier, and it's talking about basically the idea of exile. And the Bible has always been uh, patterned with that kind of story. They were in their homeland, and then they were kicked out, or they were uh, vanquished, or uh, an enemy nation besieges that uh, land, and then therefore they were scattered. And uh, one of the key era or, or history parts in the scripture is the time of the exile. Now, this is the time wherein the people of Israel, their nation was destroyed, the temple is destroyed, uh, and they were kicked out basically of their own land. They were again captives of an enemy nation. This has been a repeated kind of pattern, you know, uh, from Eden, they were uh, kicked out of Eden, and then uh, the nation of Israel were became, became slaves of Egypt, and then they were set free, brought to Canaan. And because of their wickedness, once again, you know, the Babylonians, you know, has taken over the land of Israel, and now they are finding themselves again in exile. So the concept of being an exile, now, most of us haven't really experienced this. Uh, we chose to migrate to another country, <laughs> no? Uh, it's a different thing. We were, you know, most of us are from the Philippines and then we chose to migrate to another country and live there in, in the belief that we are, we're going to have a better life in that, uh, in that country. Um, but the exiles of the Bible, they did not have a choice. They were taken captives. They were kicked out of their land. And their hearts was that they wanted to stay in their home, but they had to go out. They were captivated by the enemies. Sometimes, some of our uh, fellow men, fellow Filipinos as well, they don't really want to leave the Philippines. But because they need to raise their family, they have to find a better job, they have to ex you know, uh, get out of their comfort zone. A lot of people go to another country, even though they are far away from their family. And to some extent, that seems to me like exile. Because it's slavery to poverty and you want your, your family to be saved from poverty. So you don't really have a choice. So the, the people of Israel in the time of exile, the concept of exile is this. You belong to a different kingdom, but somehow you find yourselves in a different kingdom. You belong to a different kingdom, but you are located right now in another kingdom where you don't belong. That's the concept of exile. Now, one of the most famous stories of the exile time in Israel is, uh, guess who? Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel. So, by the way, this week, if you have no uh, Bible reading plans that you're uh, uh, particularly following, I encourage you to read on the book of Daniel this week. Amen? So, it's a very easy story to read. Uh, it's it's uh, two parts. Chapters 1 to 6 is a narrative. It's just like reading a, you know, a storybook of uh, the events that has happened to Daniel and his three friends while they are serving in the courts of the kings. And then the second part, chapters 7 to 12, is our prophetic literature. Basically, these are prophetic visions and proclamations of Daniel, the things that God has revealed to him that will happen in the history, which already took place because it's now past from our perspective. But in their perspective, it's going to happen succeedingly after the Babylonian empires, the Greek empire, and then the Roman empire, and then the coming of the Son of Man. This is always mentioned in the Gospels, the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And then also, parts of Daniel is an apocalyptic literature. 
it just basically means that it's like revelation. It declares the, what the events that are going to happen in the end times. So I encourage you to read that. In Daniel chapter... <laughs> okay, close that window there. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to camp out today. So open your Bibles to J Daniel chapter 1. You will, one of the most famous stories here, you can see from the screen, a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. You know, we grew up with this story. Uh, what an amazing story that is. But we're, that's in Daniel 6. We're just going to stay in Daniel chapter 1. But before we do that, the whole book of Daniel has these following themes that we can find. And somehow, what we can learn from them, the five kind of five, some of the themes of the book of Daniel. The, number one is, what is the book of Daniel all about? It's about faithfulness and loyalty to God and a life without compromise in the midst of exile, surrounded by pagan culture, influences, and pressures. Number two is that God's plan and sovereignty is over history and empires. He is the one who sets up and removes kings as he pleases. We will find here that God was actually moving parts according to his liking. That it was not the kings and the empires think they are in control. But no, God was the one who is moving all the chess pieces all along. Number three is about God's vindication, rescue, and empowerment to the faithful. To influence and, be, uh, and to make a difference in their world. So, when you read the book of Daniel, you will just always find that God comes to the rescue of his faithful. He always vindicates the faithful. And then this, uh, the fourth one is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about prophetic visions and proclamations bringing hope to the remnants of Israel of their, uh, about their longing from their captivity. Then lastly, apocalyptic prophecies. All right, let's look at this timeline. I'm a bit of a teacher today. So I hope that you're going to be okay with that. For us to be able to understand, you know, parang helicopter view uh, of, of the Bible again, this is the whole storyline or plot line of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Where are we locating? Saan po natin matatagpuan yung storya ni Daniel? So it's right there on the pink, <laughs> on the pink uh, when, when those two branches uh, of the kingdom uh, part ways, right? So we can remember those parts, creation, and then the fall, and then we have the, no the stories of Noah, the Tower of Babel, and then after that, God calls Abraham, and then raises him up as one of the patri patriarchs, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the three uh, forefathers of the faith, and then uh, Jacob has 12 sons, and one of them is Joseph, and then Joseph basically brings his entire family to Egypt, and then after many years, uh, a new pharaoh rises up without any knowledge of what the Israelites have done for Egypt, and they became slaves from a pa family of 120 people at the time of Joseph. After 400 years of living in Egypt, they probably grew to about 1 to 2 million people. So imagine the Exodus, yung kanilang pag-cross sa Red Sea, hindi po yung 10,000 people. About a million or two at most. Two million. Imagine Moses leading two million people. So that's the Exodus. They crossed the Red Sea. It was given to Joshua to lead the people after Moses died. And they entered Canaan 
Uh, they conquered Jericho and they lived in the promised land, Canaan. Yeah? But e even though they are already in Canaan, there are still some other tribes living in there with other gods. And so therefore, they were ruled, uh, they were you know, all, uh, in constant battle with other uh, enemy tribes or enemy nations. The judges were the ones who were leading them and uh, continuously fighting against the enemies as the Lord raised up judges. And then uh, eventually they demanded for a king. And that's when uh, the first three kings, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And after King Solomon, there was a civil war in the nation of Israel. It was divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, the northern and the southern kingdom. Now, because of the increase of wickedness, the intense idolatry, and just the blatant disobedience of the people of God, betrayal of the covenant relationship that they have with God, you know, there came a point after many, many years of God's extension of patience and mercy and grace, there came a point that God had to teach them a lesson. And there came, arose the empire of Babylon, and it first conquered the southern kingdom, Judah, and then eventually, it also conquered the northern kingdom, Israel. And the Israelites were in exile. Are you with me? Are you with me so far? And this is where we find the story of Daniel. So now let's read <coughs> Daniel chapter 1. It's kind of a lengthy read, but this is uh, necessary for us to understand the point of this message today. Okay, from your Bibles, in verse 1, it says here, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. This he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, some observations in this verse. So, Jehoiakim is obviously the last king of the kingdom of Judah. But in verse 2, you will find, look at this, in verse 2, it's very brilliant how this has been written. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar might think that it was him who has the strength and power to overcome Judah. But no, it was God's idea all along. It was God who delivered the king to the enemy. And this is part of the judgment of God to the nation of Israel at the time because of their intense and immense wickedness and idolatry. Um, tignan, tignan niyo po yung uh, following verses. It also describes that uh, some of the articles from the temple or some of this... Um, Parang mga minora and some of the gold and some of the treasures in the temple of God, Yahweh, was carried off from that temple and brought to the temple of the God of Babylon. It's as if Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you know, my God or my gods is greater than your God. And the things that are in the temple of your God, I'm now going to bring to the temple of my God as a sign that your God is a weakling and I am more powerful than your God. It's kind of a, a mockery of, uh, uh, of, of the God of Israel. Now, if you are an Israelite and you um, somehow believe that your God is the most powerful being of all, what would that 
put into your mind. That imagery. Oh my, where's God? What happened? Why is the gods of the Babylonians more powerful than my God now? If you are a, an exile in the land of Babylon during that time, there are only actually four things, four possibilities uh, that you will tend to respond to or the way that you will react in the situation or the events that are happening at the time. Number one is despair and hopelessness. When your nation is, you know, somehow us, we can relate to this in a sense because in our Philippine history, you know, we've had the Spanish colonization and the struggle against the Spaniards, you know, um, you can come to a point of despair and, and hopelessness because they are just too powerful and too great. Uh, we experienced the American occupation, experienced the Japanese occupation. So somehow similar to that is what the Israelites were experiencing at this time. Despair and hopelessness could be one of the things that you can experience while in exile. The second one is bitterness and anger. You know, you will rise up and really, you know, risk your life and fight against the enemy and raise arms and re uh, resolve to violence against this uh, conquering nation. And then the third one is you might just give in. Give in. Just makisama. Makisama ka na lang. <laughs> I, uh, okay, yeah, here I am. <laughs> you just give yourselves to the, uh, to the enemy and forget who you are. Forget my heritage as an Israelite, as a Jew, or as a worshiper of Yahweh. And the fourth one, and very rare one, is that while in exile, you, you can remain faithful to God. Only four things can happen to you while you are in exile. And I pray that us in our present-day exile, now, Pastor Jeff, I'm not an exile. Oh, yes, you will discover later on that you are. We are exiles in this world. That in this present-day exile of ours, that we will choose to be faithful to God. Amen? Now, the reason why the Lord has handed over the nation of Israel to Babylon is it's actually part of what he he said in Leviticus, in Numbers, he mentioned it to the Israelites before, that if they will not be faithful to the covenant relationship, the covenant promise that they have with God, they will be taken captive by enemy nations. And one of the reasons is because, again, of idolatry. In the, in the nation of Canaan, in the promised land, you know, some of the enemy tribes are there. Two of the most attractive gods... To the, to the Israelites, ito yung lagi silang napapahamak dito. Eh. And you will always find this uh, in the narratives of the kingdoms. Um, two gods that they are always most attracted to is Baal and Asherah. Baal, uh, there are many gods. The Babylonians, uh, the, the, not the Babylonians, the Canaanites, you know, the Jebusites, Hittites, Heb whatever. <laughs> they have many gods. But two of the gods that always finds appealing and attractive to the Israelites is Baal and Asherah. It's not that they, they don't want to worship Yahweh anymore. It's just that in the minds of the Israelites, they were compromising. They were thinking, ah, oh, we still want to worship you, Yahweh, but we also want to worship Baal, and we want to also worship Asherah. We're not turning our backs from you, but we just want to add some more gods. And they have forgotten that the very first law in the Ten Commandments, what is that there will not be any other gods before you. I am the only one God. God demands exclusive loyalty. 
God demands allegiance. You cannot be loyal to two kings. You cannot be loyal, in spiritually speaking, you cannot be a citizen of two kingdoms. Uh, in our time now, you can be dual citizens, Philippine citizenship, Australian. But in, in spiritual matters, you cannot be a citizen of the kingdom of darkness and a citizen of the kingdom of light. That's impossible. You cannot be a, 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 a citizen of the kingdom of Satan and then the kingdom of God. You cannot be a citizen of the kingdom of the world and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's just one or the other. Why Baal and why Asherah? Because Baal is the god of weather. He's the god of lightning. It's kind of a version of Zeus in the Greek, uh, among the Greeks and the Romans. He's the god of weather. And being in an agrarian or agricultural um, uh, society, uh, these people, the Jews, normally always you know, rely on weather for their harvest. And it always is connected to their profit of their harvest. And the greed and the love of money of the nation of Israel has always attracted them to the God of Baal. It's always that God of Mammon, materialism. And the second one is Asherah. And Asherah is the God of fertility. The God of fertility. And obviously, they will always want to have children. Children are treasures to them. Without, if you're uh, barren, uh, you don't have a future. So, and also your livestock. If you are uh, you know, raising cows and goats and camels, you want your livestock to have many, many kids. <laughs> So Asherah has always been attractive to the, to, the, to the Jews because they want children. They, they want children. And you know what? The worship of Asherah in those times in the uh, Jewish, they have temples, Asherah poles, Asherah temples, and they have cultic prostitutes. And the way that they worship Asherah is through sexual orgies and immoralities. And the love of money and the love of immoral pleasure, wow, isn't it still alive today? Isn't it still a temptation to the people of God today? Now, that's the reason why God had to take them out of the land, teach them a lesson, discipline them in a sense, but while the people of Israel and some of the remnants of Israel was taken captive or taken into Babylon, there are some, some Jewish people who remained faithful to the Lord. And that's what we learn from the story of Daniel. As we continue reading in verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, it's not just the articles in the temple that the king Nebuchadnezzar wants to be brought into his temple or in his courts, but he also wants servants from among the Jews and not just ordinary servants, those who come from royal family and nobility. So we can say that Daniel and his three friends, Ash, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are coming from royal families as well, nobilities among the Jews. Young men without any physical defect, handsome. Oh, okay, to me sa akin. <laughs> Joke. Uh, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
And then Ashpenaz is to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Why is this important? It's enculturation. It's erasing your Jewish heritage and culture and relearning another culture and adapting to that culture. Basically, what King Nebuchadnezzar wants to do is to remove the identity of Jewishness among these young people and to transform them like to think like the Babylonians. Are you following me? And not just that. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for the three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. They had a meal stub to the king's uh, pantry. <laughs> and they can eat whatever the king is eating. But again, another culture or um, identity identifier among the Jews are the food that they eat. So the king wants them to, le to turn their back on their food laws. Now, their food laws at the time, they don't see it as restrictive or like, ah. No, but it, their food laws are actually a good uh, kind of law. And it's also a sign of their allegiance to God. Look at the temptation there. Yeah, when we were in the youth ministry, we have what we call the Babylonian food. Mga ano, crispy pata, Babylonian food. Um, unhealthy food. <laughs> Anyways, and then reading on further, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why the change of names? Why the change of names? These are all part of King Nebuchadnezzar's plot or uh, agenda to change completely the identity of these Jewish young guys. Look at this. The names of the Jewish people are just not, not just names because they're cute, they're, they sound great, you know? They're, you know, they're unique or whatever. Whenever the parents give names to their children, it's a declaration of their faith. It is an identity marker for the Jews when they have their names. That's why a lot of the names in uh, the Bible of the Jews uh, ends with either L, Daniel, Mishael, or Ah, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Josiah. Did you notice that? Jeremiah. The reason why is because that's the name of God. El, Elohim. Ah is Yah, Yahweh. So if you look at the, the meanings of the names, for example, of Daniel, Daniel's name means God is my judge. It was changed to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect his life. The next slide po. Um, Belteshazzar, may Bel protect his life. They remove the name of God, Yahweh, Elohim, and they try to put in the name of their local gods in the, in the name of these characters. You know what I'm saying? They're basically saying, turn your back from your God, and this is, these are now your new gods. Hananiah, God is gracious, was changed to Shadrach, command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, who is what God is, or like who is like our God. And then Meshach, it's like a, a, a mockery as well, who is like Aku. Um, and then Azariah, Yahweh has helped to Abednego, servant of the shining one, Nebo. Nebo is basically the favorite god of Nebuchadnezzar. 
That's why his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it is a, a god of protection. So, why the change of names? It's a challenge of loyalty. Now, obviously, this Daniel and his three friends did not really have any choice but to change their names. But the change of their name didn't really mean change of their hearts. They can change my name, but they will not change my heart. So, reading on in verse 8, and this is the gist of the whole chapter. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. I might be found in Babylon, I might be an exile in this foreign land, but I will remain faithful to my God. I will be, I know who I am, I know my identity, and that's the life that I'm going to live, even if I am found in this exile foreign land. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Um, our discipleship group when I was in the youth ministry in JR Manila is called Daniel. And this is the hope and the prayer of my youth pastor, uh, Pastor Boyet, when we were young uh, teenagers, that we will be like Daniel. That no matter what influences of culture and society that is around us, we will not be defiled. That we will not choose to compromise because the majority is doing it no, I'm not going to do it because I know that it's against my convictions to serve the Lord. So with the royal food and wine, they did not eat what was offered to them. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. Now God has caused, look at this, now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Is there too much pressure in your workplace that pushes you to compromise? You know what? Learn from Daniel. If you stand in your convictions, God can cause your employers to have favor and compassion towards you. It is God who can touch the hearts of your boss so that you don't do the wrong thing. Sometimes you just do the wrong thing and compromise because everyone does it. But you're a Christian. I can't compromise. And if I, comp if I don't compromise, I might be kicked out of my work. So what do you choose? You just go with the flow or do the right thing. You with me? Amen. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And then Daniel said to uh, the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, uh, over them. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who at the royal food uh, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Wow. Godly pala talaga yung vegetables. <laughs> oh, kids, eat your vegetables. <laughs> now, to these four young men, God gave knowledge. Again, it's always God giving, God causing, God moving. If he sees the heart, uh, the intention of your heart to be faithful, you don't have to worry. 
If he sees your heart's intention to be faithful, God will empower you. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. You know what? Uh, the gift of excellence. It is a gift that God gives to his children. That, you know, you are not called to be tails but heads. That in your workplace, you will be the best employer there is. In your school, you can be the best student there is. In your community, you could be the best uh, citizen there is. The gift of excellence follows those who trust in the Lord. At the end of time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And then that chapter ends with verse 21 and says, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, what's the significance of that? Daniel served five kings. In the span of 70 years, kings rose up and they fell. Daniel remained. Daniel remained until the king Cyrus, and this is now a new empire, Persian empire. Um, you know, it, it just shows that God has been so faithful. And Daniel, all throughout those five kings, he was like the top guy of those kings. He was the most trusted guy of those kings. Now, why am I sharing you this message? Because um, we find ourselves in a similar situation of like an, a, a, an exile in this land, in this present world. We are like exiles. Now, Pastor Jeff, I'm not an exile. You're not a physical exile, but you're in a spiritual exile. Why? Because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You, are, you belong to the kingdom of God but somehow you are finding yourself in the kingdom of the world. You live your life in the kingdom of the world, and that is a spiritual exile. Now, a lesson that can be learned in the story of Daniel is this. There are three kinds of people. Uh, the Jews, basically, as I've said, responded in different ways as they have been exiled in the land of Babylon. And we can identify to somehow seeing what kind of people do we choose to be while we are in exile? The first type of person is the separatists. The separatists, this is what it is. In the time of Daniel, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon, fight, you know, um, revolt, revolutionaries, you know, withdraw completely, separate completely from the Babylonians. They were in arms fighting against the Babylonians. They called themselves we can call them uh, separatists. They want to be separate from the Babylonians. They are so, so zealous and so religious that they do not want to associate with any of those Babylonians. The second type of people are the conformists, those who give in. The conformists, you know, adapting to the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own, eating the food of the Babylonians, absorbing their culture and lifestyle forgetting their identity as the people of God, compromising. They are the conformists. 
Now, you might think that there's, these are the only two options, but this is what God wanted Daniel and the remnants who understand the will of God to do. God wants them to become the third type of people, catalysts. Catalysts. God actually instructs the nation of Israel not to separate, but not also to assimilate. It's a unique position. They are exiles, but they are not supposed to be separating from the Babylonians or kind of quote-unquote hating the Babylonians. And they are not also to conform with the Babylonians. They are to be catalysts. Now, what is a catalyst? In the dictionary, if you're going to look at it, a catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. So you can be there and not be changed by the system. You're a catalyst if you are there and you're not being changed by the system-prevalent culture around you. But what happens is that you are the one causing change to the culture around you. You are a catalyst. So God's purpose for the nation of Israel is actually he's, just, he's not just trying to punish them or discipline them by putting them into exile. God has a bigger plan than that. He actually wanted the nation of Israel that while they are inside the empire of Babylon, that they would make a difference there. That they would actually be catalysts for change from within the prevalent empire at the time. Are you with me so far? And that's what Daniel did. And the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were servants of the king. The separatists more likely hated them. Because why are you serving that king? That is a wicked king, a pagan king. They worship many gods. And the separatists are saying, Ah, oh, you have betrayed the God of Yahweh. The God, Yahweh, you're, you're, you know. And maybe also the conformists could have applauded them, but at the same time, it's kind of weirded out. Because why are you not completely assimilating? Why do you still worship Yahweh? Are you with me? The three kinds of people. Look at Jeremiah 29. This is the letter that Jeremiah sent to the remnants of Israel at the time of exile. And this is what the Lord said to the people of Israel. He says, uh, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. As exiles, the Lord is saying to them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there in Babylon. Do not decrease. Also, look at this. This is very shocking. When the people of Israel are in exile, the prophet Jeremiah is saying to them, seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. It's like, huh? What? There are enemies. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Don't separate, don't assimilate, be a catalyst. Pray for Babylon, and the separatists are saying, why should I pray for Babylon? They are our enemies, they destroyed our temple. Can you see the point? Jeremiah 29, continuing with the, the message, now you know the context of your favorite verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. That's the context. Exile. 
So when you when you claim that verse, Jeremiah, my favorite verse is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Okay. This is the context. When you claim that verse, remember that you are an exile. Remember that God has plans for you, yes, to prosper you. In this land, yes, but don't forget your identity. He can increase your wealth, yes, but don't forget your identity. Don't forget your allegiance. Don't forget your God. When 70 years completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That God's purpose is always to bring them back, to bring them back, to bring them back. And that's what they hoped for. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will trust and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Ibig sabihin po nito, kahit na kayo ay nandiyan sa Babylon, wala kayo sa Israel, wala kayo sa temple. Even if you're, because the Jews during the time believe that they are close to God when they are in the temple. That God dwells in the temple and because the temple is destroyed, where can we worship now? But God is saying to them, when you call upon me, even if you are in an exile, uh, foreign land, I am there. You will seek me and find me with all of your heart. Um, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The concept is always return. Return. You are there for now, but there will come a time that I will restore everything. You are there for now, but there will come a time where I will restore everything. Sounds like the second coming, isn't it? You are here right now. You are not to completely separate from the systems of the world. You are not to completely assimilate and conform to the patterns of the world. You are to be different. Because you really belong to a different kingdom. Your citizenship is in heaven. Amen. You're with me. We are so familiar with the fourth man in the furnace, Daniel chapter 3, and Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. What are these stories? The only times that Daniel and his three friends objected and resisted the rule of the king is when they are already ordering them to worship another god. So the, the fourth man in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, an edict went around, Nebuchadnezzar wants everyone to bow down to this, to this bronze golden uh, statue of God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. And everyone who would not bow down to this God will be thrown into the furnace. And you know the story, right? They said, no, throw us into the furnace. We will not bow down to this God. And if you throw us into the furnace, it says in Daniel 3, uh, God, our God, Yahweh, will rescue us. And what a wonderful faith that these three friends has. Because they said, but even if God does not rescue us, we will still not bow down to your God. What kind of faith is that? Lord, I will not do this because I know you will rescue me. But Lord, even if you don't, I will still remain loyal to you. What if there's no promotion? What if you did not get the prayer that you are praying for? What if God does not give you what you are expecting? What if you don't get 
you know, what you think is God's best for you. Will you still worship him? That's the fate of the three friends. Daniel in the lion's den, an edict was given by King Darius, another king. And King Darius loved Daniel so much. And he said that, you know, no one's to, to, no one's to pray to any other god by, but King Darius within that 30-day period. And Daniel opened up his window <laughs> facing Jerusalem and prayed to God Yahweh in public, declaring his allegiance and loyalty to God. He's thrown into the lion's den. And you know the story, right? The Lord rescued him. Uh, the Lord sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And the reverse happened. Those who have tried to destroy Daniel are the ones eaten by the lions. And King Darius declared an edict throughout the land, every one of you, you will revere the God of Daniel. When God vindicates you in your workplace, in your community, in your family, everyone laughs at you because you became a born-again Christian. Alive, alive, alive. Naku, na-brainwash ka na niya, mga born-again Christian na yan. And then after some time, God vindicates you. And all of a sudden, these people who laughed at you before come to you for prayer. Kapatid, pag-pray mo naman ako. Before they laughed at you. Why? Because they see how God has been with you. Because you've been loyal to your God. You with me? And... And, and that's the desire, isn't it? The desire is not to show everyone how great you are. Daniel was not there to prove himself to be, look at me, I'm so amazing. Daniel wanted to see, for everyone to see how amazing is his God. And the praise and the glory goes to him. The highlight, the magnification, the glory goes to him. I just stood my ground and God stood with me. And after that, everyone will worship my king. Fast forward, you know, we're going to close uh, in a few bits now. Fast forward to Jesus' time. Jesus and a new empire, the Roman Empire. A Roman Empire. And we will notice the same Daniel-like behavior and perspective and teaching that Jesus shared with his disciples. In the time of Jesus, there are also three kinds of people. The separatists, the conformists, and the catalysts. The separatists are the zealots. They are the ones, you know, the Maccabean war, the Maccabees, you know. Those are the ones who are trying to uh, destroy, go against, revolt, revolutionaries, against the Roman Empire. Violent people, Judas, uh, not Judas, um, Barabbas, uh, was one of them, the one that has been set free instead of Jesus. And then there are also the, the conformists, those people who just, you know, went with the flow, as the Roman Empire said, then we will do. And then those people in the middle, the followers of Jesus, the catalysts. We do not belong to the separatists. We do not belong to the conformists. We are a people of God. We are the followers of the way. If you can remember, it's quite interesting that Jesus includes in his 12 disciples, Simon the Zealot, a former separatist. If you've watched The Chosen, you know what I'm talking about. He's the one who's like fighting, fighting like that. <laughs> um, 
Simon the Zealot, a former separatist. And then Matthew, a former conformist. And then he calls them to be his disciples. And they changed to become uh, catalysts for the Lord. You with me? What would the separatists think at the time in Matthew 22 when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees? In this verse, it says, The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Sabi ng mga nang tatrap kay Jesus. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. They're trying to say that Jesus is a separatist. Right? Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Here's the thing. If Jesus says no, then he is a separatist. And therefore, the Pharisees will stir up the anger of the Jews who are conformist, uh, who are you know, religious, at the time. Do you see the difference there? And then, the brilliance of Jesus is this. By, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, uh, now, if Jesus says, yes, give the taxes to Caesar, he's a conformist. Right? You hypocrites, Jesus said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? And then Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. That is such a brilliant answer. <laughs> Why? Because he's showing that he is neither a separatist nor a conformist. I belong to a different kingdom. Give it to Caesar. Remember Daniel? Pray for the prosperity of this land. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left and went away. In John 18, when Jesus was in front of Pilate, Pilate questioned him and says, Are you the king of the Jews? And this is the answer of Jesus. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Now, the, the, the Pharisees has brought Jesus to Pilate on a charge that he is against the emperor. He is raising up an you know, a, a different kingdom that will not be allegiant to the emperor. That's why the Pilate is asking, are you the king of the Jews? Basically saying, are you a separatist? Because if you are a separatist, I'm definitely going to crucify you. But Jesus, you know, uh, he, the, the conversation goes on, verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest but by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom of the Lord, because he's the king, he's not of this world. So if Jesus is your king, you are also not of this world. You're, are you following me? Right? Is, is this making sense? This making sense? So, what now, Pastor Jeff? Why the talk about Daniel, conformist, separatist, catalyst? 
I want to talk about Jesus having a different kingdom because we are expected to be either of the three. In this present world, the world that we are in is either we are separatists, completely separate from the world, or conformists, to conform the patterns of the world. Or be in the world, but not of the world. That your life is so distinguishable, so different, it doesn't look like the people around you who do not follow God, but it's also not like those people who are overly and extremely, quote-unquote, religious, to the point that they, they cannot be relevant or relate to the world anymore. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? So what is the way of the exile? For us, these are the letters uh, that has been written to us by the apostles and echoes what somehow Daniel and Jesus is portraying in those times. But before I do so, um, sorry, this is Matthew 24. Uh, before I do so, I just wanted to highlight this. Pastor David Fernandez mentioned this in, on Monday in our virtual camp. Matthew 24, it says, Jesus uh, basically prophesying about the end times and the current generation and the increasing wickedness that we will experience at the time. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Sounds like an exile. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many will turn away from the faith. What does that mean? Become conformists. Turn away from their spiritual identity and just go with the flow. You with me? Yeah? And then it continues to say, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And there is all the evidence we need to say that over time, wickedness has so much increased. The gods of Baal, the god of Baal and Asherah, greed, love for money, and you know, sexual pleasures. Before, you know, ang taas pa ng MTRCB. <laughs> Ngayon, oh my goodness, everything that you will see on television, Netflix, and oh, oh, the kids have seen so much so early. The increase of wickedness. And because of the increase of wickedness, it says that the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands faithful, stands firm to the end, will be saved. A Daniel. A Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of our generation. Now, I'm always fascinated how they did it. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how come they have been so faithful and so loyal to God? They haven't even had the, 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 the encounter with Jesus as we have. They don't even have the infilling of the Holy Spirit at the time. They were Old Testament believers. We have the Holy Spirit now. You with me? How did they do that? It just shows that the Bible says it's possible. It's possible to be faithful to God. It's possible to stand firm. Even if everyone around you says to you, move, you will not move. When God says, do not move. 
It's possible to stand on your convictions and do the right thing. Yeah, amen? And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The king will come again. Um, look at this as I close in these verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And these are just basically an instruction for us, the church. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at that. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want to read that in the message translation. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. And look at that yellow highlighted line. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. It also says in the following yellow line, unlike the culture around you, you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings best out of you, develops well-informed, for maturity. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. You know what? Nowadays, there are so many issues that it's so polarizing. So many debates happening on the social media. Don't get into that. That is so immature. Don't be involved in these heated debates and conversations. So many polarizing issues. Vaccine or no vaccine. Or this political figure, this presidential candidate. And you are, you know, fighting, debating against each other. You know what? Don't put your hope in a person. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. There is no individual person that can change the Philippines. Only Jesus can. Now, I'm not saying don't be involved. Again, don't be separatist. I'm not saying don't, you know, say your opinion why you're going to vote for this person. Pray about it. Be engaged. Vote for the person that you think uh, the Lord puts a conviction in your heart onto, but don't be engaged in these petty debates and conversations that just destroys relationships. It's so immature. And even with this pandemic, you know, a lot of the other informations flying around in the internet and all that, don't be involved in that. Be consumed with the kingdom of God. Not, don't be so much consuming all this information, 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 internet, whatever. How much are you reading the internet and how much are you reading this? How much are you reading the Word of God? What are you consuming? You belong to a different kingdom. Does it matter if Jesus comes back tomorrow? If Jesus come back, comes back next, next week? Does it even matter? The things that you are debating about? Does it even matter who wins the election? No. What matters are eternal things. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You belong to a different kingdom and you belong to a different king. I put my vote on Jesus. 
Now, obviously, I'm still going to vote. I'm going to choose the person. But you will never hear me. You will never hear me promote anyone. I hope that as passionate as you are in promoting your candidate, you are as passionate in promoting Jesus to the world. As bold as you are in posting all this in social media, as passionate as you are in sharing your opinion about this pandemic and about these issues and information about the vaccine or whatsoever, I hope that as passionate as you are, you are as passionate in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is what saves people from eternity. What are you so passionate about? These things are so immature. It says there, don't be so caught up with the culture around you, dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Your, if you know your identity, it will dictate your behavior. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, they know their identity. They are people of God. And it dictated their behavior. If you don't know your identity, you know what? The culture around you will always push to give you an identity. A lot of people, they are hanging on to gender identity, racial identity, economic identity. There's no other identity that's more important, my friend, than belonging to God who created you. If the name of God is on you, that is the most important identity. You know what? You will conform if you don't know who you are. You will conform to the things around you if you don't know who you are. Young people, young people, if you know who you are, you're a child of God, there's no need to prove to your friends how cool you are. To just please your friends, then you dress like them, you speak like them, you, you're the culture, the popular culture. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but if you're getting your identity from the approval of people, oh, you have to know how God loves you so much. Your friends will not die for you on the cross. There's only one person who can and who did. Don't be so insecure about what people will say about me, the image that we portray on social media, it's so immature. I'm so fired up by this because Christians, ah, it's heartbreaking to see Christians conforming to the patterns of the world. And on the other end of it, having hatred and anger, like a separatist, Read your Bible, my friends. It's very clear. It doesn't need interpretation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I urge you then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why are you? We are so always um, attracted to rage and anger when there's corruption and the, this president and that prime minister and this government is corrupt. And, uh, and we post all these things in our social media. But the question is, if you are a child of God, a Christian, when was the last time you prayed for your government? When was the last time you prayed for your prime minister? 
When was the last time you prayed for your president? And that's what the Lord is telling us to do. You know, Daniel did not have to be the king of Babylon to make a difference. He served under that king and he served his purpose well. And that was a wicked king, worshipped other gods, and yet he was there in the office of the king, doing his part, being a catalyst for change. If you are so passionate about politics, then run. Run for politics. Don't bubble your mouth on social media or whatsoever. It's not going to make any difference, my friend. If you want to make a difference in the land, if you want to make a difference in the Philippines, then run for politics. Be like Daniel. Serve in the government. Be a Christian politician that will not compromise. Now, I'm not saying that all the, the only answer are Christian politicians. No. God used King Darius. God used King Nebuchadnezzar. God used many different uh, leaders and authorities in the Bible who are not Christians. Because he is the one. God is the one moving the parts. Living godly lives in a pagan society. 1 Peter 2, and in this I close. But you are a chosen people. Your identity. Your identity. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Who am I? Who are you? If you don't know who you are, you will conform to this world. But you, if you know that you are citizens of the kingdom, you will live kingdom lifestyle. In this world, you will be different. Royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who are you? You are people of God. Your identity will, declare, will dictate your behavior. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, exiles, foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. In first, uh, verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Wow. If you're a separatist, you will not be happy to read this. Submit yourselves to every human authority or to governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of the believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I'll read this in the message translation to just give emphasis to it once again. Don't let this go. Hey, if you are, what are we supposed to do while we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus? As exiles in this land, we're not yet home. We're not yet home. The eternal kingdom is our home. But what are we supposed to do? We have to know our identity. You are the, the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. My life, 
my identity, my purpose, dictates my priorities, my mission, the way I use my time, the way I use my resources. Because everything else that we invest on in this world, when Jesus comes back again, do you think you can bring that in heaven? The only thing you can bring in heaven is what? Souls. The only thing you can bring to heaven, souls. Invest in that. Invest on souls. You are God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. To tell others that the night and day difference He made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. Look at verse 11. Friends, this world is not your home. You are exiles here. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't be a conformist. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices then they'll be won over to God's side. The reason why? As catalyst, that they may be won over. That they may also honor your king. Be there to join the celebration when he arrives. Last, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. But, Pastor Jeff, they are bad. They are wicked. Huh? Romans 13, Paul was the, saying to the church in Rome to pray, submit to their leaders, the very same government that has imprisoned him so many times. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think they are your danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. I will never, ever, ever use the pulpit as a platform for protest. That is not what I'm called to do. As a preacher, I am called to preach the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving work of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to a different kingdom. The government can do whatever they want to do. If they're corrupt, if they're all this, God is their judge. They are accountable to the Lord. But as for me, as for us, the church, we will be catalysts. We will not be separatists. We will not be conformists. We will be catalysts. We will make a difference wherever the Lord places us. This is what we do. We are in the world, but not of the world. We belong to a different kingdom, and our loyalty is to our King. Amen? Amen? Would you rise up to your feet? Come on. Hallelujah. Let's just declare the praises of God, and let this song be our anthem. Amen? As we wait for the coming King, His kingdom comes. As His return is impending, you know, coming soon. 
Lord, as we wait, Lord, as we are here as exiles in this world, Father, it's my prayer that you will find us faithful, that you will find us like Daniel's, Shadrach's, Meshach's, and Abednego's of this land. Lord God, that we will be immovable. Oh God, always loyal unto you. Hallelujah. And oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise. Rise, be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified Once again, come on. in me. Sing it. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Can we declare the breaks of this song as a conviction song? Oh, Hallelujah. Oh, I won't bow to idols. Hallelujah. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. Turning glory with all the angels and saints, my heart will still be singing. Amen. My soul Woo! will be the Lord. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise. Christ be magnified. Come on, magnify our King. Hallelujah. Oh. Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified. Hallelujah. Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. The 
Take a moment, church. Come on, just take a moment. Realize it. You belong to the kingdom of God. You are citizens of His kingdom. Exiles in this world. Your identity is chosen. You are chosen. Your identity is beloved. You are beloved by the King. Your identity is child, children of God. Yes. Yes, and as we are reminded of our identity, Father, it's my prayer that it will dictate our behavior. Yes. It will dictate our priorities. It will dictate, Father, our values. It will dictate, Father, Lord God, the way that we relate with one another the way we treat the world around us. Lord, we will not be separatists. Clench our fists on the systems around us. We will not be conformists. 
just compromising and doing the wrong thing as others or the majority are doing. Lord, we will be people of God. We'll be catalysts. Catalysts in our families. Catalysts in our communities. Catalysts in our workplace. Catalysts, oh God, in our neighborhood. And when the people see our allegiance is not to any other, but our allegiance is to our King, our Lord Jesus. They too, Father God, might be won over. They might be won over. And perhaps they will worship you also. Thank you, Lord. Make us the present-day Daniels. Make us the present-day Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednego. Lord God, we will stand firm. Oh, in the increase of wickedness in this world, the love of many will grow cold. But those who will stand firm until the end, make us those, Lord. The vindication of our God is upon the faithful. Upon the faithful. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enables us enables us to stand our ground and be people of God in our time, Lord. We honor you. We honor you. Now, for those of you who are joining us online and you might be wondering what this talk is all about, you know, the invitation to be citizens of the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom of God has been opened. The veil was torn. The access has been opened up when Jesus Christ died on the cross. When in, in other kingdoms, it's the people that dies for the king. But in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's the king who dies for his people. And he died for you, my friend. If you will open your heart right now, repent of your sins, and pledge allegiance to Jesus as your king, you will be members of the kingdom of God. You will be saved. You will be a child of the king. Child of God. Amen. Would you raise your hands and Open your hearts and pray this prayer of surrender to Him. Father, thank you for your unconditional love. You've saved me. When you died on the cross, you've given your blood to wash my sins. I am a sinner and I repent of my former ways. Today, I pledge allegiance to my King. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. You made me a child of God. And thank you that from this day on, I will live a different life. Live in a different kingdom. I belong to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Are you blessed, church? Yes. Man, I got something out of that. Remember who you are. Amen. Lion yan sa Lion King. The Lion King. Remember who you are. <laughs> Remember who you are. You are an heir to the throne. Amen. Would you raise your hands to receive the Father's blessing? May the Lord bless you, keep yes, you, Lord. make His face to shine upon you. Oh, hallelujah. Be gracious unto you and yes, give you Jesus. peace. Shalom. As Amen. you live as citizens of the kingdom, 
and yes. exiles of this world. Hallelujah. You will thrive and prosper and the spirit of excellence like that of Daniel's be upon you Thank in you, all Jesus. the spheres that you are found Hallelujah. in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Woo! God bless you, church. And see you next week on yes. our service right here in our church building. RSVPs will be asked of you, okay? So uh, uh, send your confirmation of attendance to your DG leaders. Amen. God bless you. Woo! See you next Sunday, church. Amen.